Let's bow once more before we open the word of God together this morning. Gracious Father, we ask that your spirit would minister in this time, that uh, as he is the teacher of all truth, uh, Lord, I pray that as we open up your word this morning, that you would use me as your vessel to communicate that truth, uh, that it would always be uh, about you, uh, and that it wouldn't be about uh, us. And uh, Father, we ask that you would just be amongst each one here, uh, help us to remain focused, that we would be able to lay aside those distractions and things that are uh, yet waiting, uh, Lord, but yet would in this moment be able to uh, glean from the scriptures, uh, that we would meditate upon them, uh, chew on the truth, and uh, make it part of who we are so that we may live as better uh, lights in this darkness. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We have your Bibles this morning. Go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, and as you're turning there this morning, uh, we will uh, continue here in part 14 of our uh, kind of, I guess you want to call it mini-series in the book of Ephesians, uh, as we've taken a look at verses 3 through 14. Uh, and you know we're in that final section here of the verses 11 to 14, where we see our inheritance in Jesus Christ. Uh, and in particular, verses 13 and 14 um, is our focus for today. Uh, as we continue on uh, realizing this blessed salvation that we have in Jesus Christ uh, that comes from the Father, and it is through the Spirit. Last time, um, as we took a look, and as I told you last Sunday, uh, it was going to take me three weeks to go over the work of the Holy Spirit in salvation. Uh, And last Sunday, we took a look at uh, three aspects of what the Holy Spirit does in relation to this salvation. One is regenerating, uh, because apart from the Holy Spirit, uh, there is no salvation. Man cannot save himself. Um, It is only by the work of the Holy Spirit regenerating and producing spiritual rebirth that we can exercise faith and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. You remember, we we took a look at uh, an Old Testament passage where it, it actually described this Uh, as us having a heart of stone, uh, and that heart of stone did not just get a a new paint job. It did not get a a clothing on it. That stone heart had to be removed. Uh, And in doing so, uh, the Lord put into its place, uh, he didn't leave it empty, he put into that place a fleshly heart, a heart that uh, was able to uh, be molded and shaped uh, and to receive spiritual things. Uh, And so the first work that the Spirit does in uh, regenerating is uh, producing spiritual rebirth. Uh, And we'll find out later, and as we've already talked about in Ephesians, is that, you know, apart from God, all of mankind is dead in their trespasses and sins. Uh, They love uh, to fulfill the desires of the sinful flesh. Uh, They love to uh, and have an appetite for those things because they are a slave to them. Uh, and so the Spirit needs to come in and do a regenerating work. Um, he is literally removing the very thing that is keeping anyone from looking and understanding and seeing their need of salvation in Jesus Christ. Second, we, we took a look at the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and we talked about the fact that the indwelling happens at the moment of salvation, something that is different under the new covenant 
uh, in Jesus' blood is that the Spirit just doesn't come upon people for particular things. The Spirit indwells every true believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, is where the Holy Spirit takes up permanent residence uh, in true believers. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ here today, uh, the Holy Spirit indwells you. He resides in you. Uh, and we looked at some different scriptures where we know it, it likened our bodies to a temple uh, where the Holy Spirit dwells. Uh, and so uh, the second work that the, the Spirit does in relation to salvation is once he regenerates and once we are given the gift of faith uh, to believe, uh, then he takes and indwells every believer. And there's a reason for that. Uh, because we know is the role of the Holy Spirit in dwelling is to be the helper, the, the encourager, uh, the convictor, uh, to let us know that we are children of God uh, and to uh, help us and guide us in all truth throughout the remainder of what, however many years the Lord gives us on this earth and eventually uh, bringing us home, uh, which we'll see a little bit of that this morning. Uh, but the third aspect was that of baptizing. Uh, we made a very clear distinction uh, about baptizing because the baptizing work of the Holy Spirit is where the Holy Spirit takes and places a new believer in the body of Christ. And again, this ho- happens at the moment of salvation. Uh, there's no break-in period. There's no, you know, uh, you know, you know, use it lightly until which time you're ready. The Spirit immediately indwells believers and baptizes them. So when someone puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they are automatically, by the power of the Spirit, you know, put into the uh, body of Christ. Uh, and with, with, you know, and not just into the body of Christ, but he also gives them things so that uh, you are able to function in that body. Even though you are an infant in faith, you know, you will continue to grow into maturity, as the scriptures speak to. And so those were the three things we took a look at last time, regenerating and dwelling and baptizing. Uh, And today uh, we're going to be speaking to uh, the sealing of the Holy Spirit uh, as we consider the the fourth work that the Spirit does in relation to salvation. And so if you'll permit me, I'd like to go ahead and read uh, our context here, starting in verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 1, and I'll read through verse 14. It says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So we're going to be looking this morning at uh, those, uh, well, two phrases there at the end of verse 13, where it says we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit uh, and the beginning of verse 14, where it says who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Uh, And this is an important aspect of the the Holy Spirit. And as we unpack this this morning, we're going to see what sealing actually is. Uh, And we have to remember within the context of salvation that salvation belongs to God. Salvation is God's work because man cannot save himself. As a matter of fact, as we, you know, just, you know, reiterated that unless God removes that heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh, uh, we are still 
dead in our trespasses and sins. So sealing indicates God's ownership. And, you know, as we think about ownership, uh, we always think in light of the things that are familiar to us. Uh, And we think about ownership and how you can have a good owner or a bad owner, or that ownership changes. Uh, And these are concepts that may be true to the world in which we live, but are not true in relation to salvation, because as you look at it in its fuller context, you will see that the sealing of the Holy Spirit, that mark or that indicator that we belong to God, does not change. Man cannot change it, because remember, it's by God's power that it happens. And in the book of Ephesians, uh, later on in chapter 4, verse 30, uh, Paul also um, speaks to this sealing, uh, where he says in verse 30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Okay, and so, you know, as we, we consider this sealing, you need to understand and see it through the lens by which God, you know, is the, the one who does the saving. Because salvation is God's sovereign plan from before the foundation of the world. See, the Holy Spirit is the seal of our redemption in Christ. So seal literally means to stamp or to signet uh, or private mark something. Okay? Now I'm going to use an illustration, and, and uh, I, I, I probably sent my wife on an impossible task to try and find something that we utilized uh, over 24 years ago uh, to seal our wedding invitations. Uh, Michelle, when I met her, was very Victorian in, uh, uh, in, uh, in lots of ways. Uh, one of the beautiful things is, is she loved to, to create things and do things. And uh, so our wedding invitations uh, were beautiful as is, but she also got sealing wax and then took a signet that had the letter D, because D is the beginning letter of my last name, uh, and sealed each one of those letters because we had the authority to do so because they were our letters. And we addressed on the front to whom those letters would go. And in doing so, we, we gave permission to that person whose name is on that letter to be able to break that seal and open it and see what was inside. Uh, but that sealing was a mark to say that, you know, we, we have marked this, that uh, you are the only one, that the United States Postal Service has no business opening this, uh, nor does anyone else, because it was addressed to the one on the front of the, the, the card. And that really shows a beautiful picture of what happens in relation to the sealing of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to differentiate a little bit um, because, you know, we talk about breaking the seal. uh, And we're going to find out very quickly that no one can break this seal that God does through the Spirit. No one, not even yourself. You do not have the authority because it's God's seal. And only God can remove that seal. And we'll find very quickly that God's not going to remove that seal Uh, for a a numerous amount of reasons. So the first thing uh, we can look at is going to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verses 19 and 20. Because God's seal of the Holy Spirit shows ownership. And so it's not just here uh, in the book of Ephesians, but we can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And this will give you 
the first reason why uh, this shows God's ownership. Starting in verse 19, it says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Okay, again, it's originating in God because salvation belongs to God, and everything pertaining to salvation is done by God's power, not man's. He says, you are not your own at the end of verse 19. Why? Verse 20 tells us, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So the number one reason why this seal of the Holy Spirit is something that is permanent uh, and shows ownership is because we have been bought and paid for by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. A transaction, a legal transaction has taken place. And we have, again, talked about this uh, in previous times together. <clears throat> and that legal transaction is uh, viable. It is permanent and no one can change it. And so when we, it says you have been bought with a price, that is the absolute truth. Because for the wages of sin is death, and we know from the scriptures in Romans, and it says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness or no remission of sins. See, our, our debt to God is a blood sacrifice. And it's not just any ordinary sacrifice, because even the Old Testament sacrifices were looking forward to the point in the fullness of time when Jesus Christ would come. That he would be the once for all final sacrifice because only his blood was absolutely sinless and pure and holy. And what was required because of our sin before a holy God. The only way that you can be holy as God is holy is through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so this shows God's ownership, this sealing of the Holy Spirit, because we, the transaction has been made. And you can't undo that transaction because that transaction was between the Son and the Father. Not between you and God. This was a transaction between the Son and the Father. And the Son paid with his blood. And therefore purchased those who are given the gift of faith and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those whom the Spirit not only regenerates, but the Spirit indwells, baptizes, and seals. Second, uh, we can go to the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 9, uh, because God's seal of the Holy Spirit proves the security of our salvation. In other words, no one is going to be able to break in and steal your salvation. No one is going to be able to go in and undo what God has done because it is by the power of God that salvation happens from beginning to end. Hebrews chapter 9, starting in verse 11. It says, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places. Notice this, not by the means of the blood of goats or, and calves, but by means of his own blood. And, and here's the, the, the clarifier, thus securing an eternal redemption. There's nothing iffy in that language. It says thus securing, because who's doing the securing? Are you? No. God is securing this. And he's securing it for an eternal, okay, and remember, we're temporal, finite. We have a 
shelf life for these bodies, God is eternal. And what he does for those who are his children, those whom he's bought with the blood of his precious son, he gives them a body fit for eternity. So thus securing an eternal redemption because we've been redeemed. We've been bought out of slavery and we cannot go back to that because a, a, a surgery, a spiritual surgery has taken place. Remember, the stone, rock, cold heart has been removed. God's not going to take and make that fleshly heart. He's not going to take the fleshly heart back out and put the stone of heart back, or the heart of stone back in, if I can get the words in the right order. Okay? Because a transaction's taken place, because a transformation has taken place. Thus proving our security and our salvation in Christ, because the Spirit is the one that is the seal. Third, God's seal of the Holy Spirit reveals the genuineness of our salvation. And I appeal to Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 14. It says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You can't unson yourself. You can't undaughter yourself. Those who are led by the Spirit of God, which the Spirit of God indwells every believer, that make it, makes you a son or a daughter of God. Verse 15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Because something happened. You were transformed. You are no longer that person, and you can no longer go back to be that person. There is nothing that you can go to, you know, void what God has done. That's one of the beautiful things about salvation. It's one of the, the hopes that we have, is that we can't mess this up because it's God who's doing the work. And God's not going to mess up. It says, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Verse 16 says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It's a done deal. We are children of God. If we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And it goes on in verse 17 to say, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified also with him. It reminded me this morning as I was going over my sermon uh, earlier that John 1.12 fits in here perfectly because the genuineness of this salvation is based in uh, the Spirit who gives us the right to become children of God. Listen to what it says. But to all who did receive him... Okay, who receives him? <clears throat> Those <clears throat> allergies, sorry. <laughs> uh, who receives him? Those whom the Spirit has regenerated. Who believed in him, in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So again, it's, it's God who has the authority, God who has the right, God who is the one who says, you are my child. Because you have been bought and paid for because the blood of my precious son has cleansed you from all unrighteousness. Because my son's blood is perfect and pure and holy. And you have been given a righteousness not your own so that you can be with God. You know, thus securing that eternal redemption because it's all God's work. <clears throat> so the Holy Spirit is the, our seal or the seal of our redemption in Christ. Well, I want you to notice there in verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 1, because 
word order is important. You know, as you take a look at things so that you don't pull things out of context, uh, you, you will often find that the word order actually is a, a, a proclamation in itself. Notice there in verse 13 it says, In him you also, when you first heard the word of truth, um, if I can find my place here, the gospel of your salvation, second, and believed in him, third, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Did you notice the word order? You heard the word of truth, you believed in him, and were sealed. So it is not only a, a progressive thing as it goes from hearing, believing, to sealing, uh, but it's a complete package. And I want you to think about the sealing wax. You know, when we sealed our invitations to our wedding back in 1992, you have to heat the wax because it's going to do you no good to try and take that hard piece of wax and try and, and do anything to impress it. You know, the only thing you can do is maybe take a knife and try and carve it, but then again, it's not sealing anything. It needs to be heated. So just like sealing wax needs to be softened before the imprint can be made, the Spirit must regenerate the unbeliever through, what? The word of truth, giving the unbeliever the gift of faith to believe and to ultimately make the final impression of the Godhead upon that individual, that seal. So the wet, you know, the, the hot wax melted and sealed with God's seal. Can anyone open God's seal? Only God himself can, right? Because it's God's seal. No one has the power, no one has the authority, because it's God's seal. And there's no reason to, to break that seal, because it, it is a, a beautiful thing, God's plan of salvation from beginning to end. Well, notice there in verse 14, uh, and again, you know, language is important because, you know, we've, we've given a, a case here of what the sealing indicates. It ind- indicates God's ownership, uh, showing his ownership. It proves the security of our salvation. It reveals the genuineness of our salvation. And all of that should be enough. Because it's God who's doing it. It's God who said it. It's God, you know, if you want to say his reputation on the line as God. But God takes it one step further. And I think this is beautiful. And this is something that, you know, it may seem redundant to you. But I hope that you'll begin to see the depth of this. Because God's promised Holy Spirit as the seal should be enough for us. In itself. Because it's God. the Spirit is who? God. It's God's seal. But he takes it a step further by guaranteeing it by the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And why is it to the praise of his glory? Because God's doing it. And what he does is he gives a guarantee. You know, when you buy things, you love to get a guarantee. When you buy a car, you want to guarantee that it's not going to be a lemon. And even though they may guarantee it, you know, it doesn't mean that they're going to fulfill the guarantee. And again, we can't look at God through that kind of lens. Because this guarantee is coming from the God who is righteous and holy and just and loving and merciful. But this word guarantee in Greek actually literally means earnest money. A pledge, something that which stands for part 
of the price and paid beforehand to confirm the transaction. Okay? And so know this, that this word guarantee in Greek is uh, only used in the New Testament. You won't find its equivalent in the Old Testament. Uh, And it is only attributed to the Holy Spirit. So this is a very special word that is uh, a, meant to stand out to you so that you know that not only are you sealed with the Spirit, but it is guaranteed. Nothing is going to change it. You can't change it. The world can't change it. The devil can't change it. Because God has guaranteed it. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20 and uh, 21. speaks to this guarantee as well. Starting in verse 20 of of, of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. Stop for a minute and think about that. So everything that God has promised, and we know that the Spirit is the one who was promised. So this is saying that if God promised the Spirit, if he promised him to be the seal... If he said he is the guarantee, then where do they find their yes? In God. Nothing's going to change that. It says that is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Because God is a God of his word. He isn't going to change that word. He is not going to alter it because it is perfect in all of its ways. God doesn't have to rethink, readjust, because things you know, happen that he did not you know, anticipate. God knows all things. The fall is not something that is a mistake. The fall happened. God knew it was going to happen, but God had a plan of salvation even before the fall. Verse 21 goes on to say, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ. You need to underline that. It is God. Not me. Not my shortcomings. God. He's the one who is guaranteeing this. And it says, he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. That's because God is going to get what God's son paid for. Not one precious drop of his son's blood is going to go wasted. It is going to accomplish everything that it meant to accomplish. In 2 Corinthians, later on in chapter 5, again, we see uh, this reiterated in verses 1 to 5. It says, For we know that if the tent, which is our earthly home, okay, here's the tent, earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God. Okay, so if this tent gets destroyed, I don't have to worry that I'm going to be aimlessly wandering around in some, you know, in-between place because I don't have something waiting for me. No, we have a building from God. It's, it's, it's completed. We have it. A house not made with hands. Why? Because it's made by the eternal God. Eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. And we long to put it on because this world is not our home. 
because you have been transformed. You no longer have a heart of stone. You have a, a fleshly heart that loves and understands and sees spiritual things, something that the world cannot. Verse 3 says, If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked, for while we are still in this tent we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up to life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God. Again, this is God doing this work, who has given us his spirit as a guarantee. Do you think God wants you to know that you belong to him and you will always belong to him because he knew you? He knew your name even before the foundation of the world. See, this guarantee is like a good faith payment. You know, if you've uh, you know, purchased a home, you know, or made a purchase of some sort, oftentimes there's a good faith payment involved, okay? You know, when we bought our, our first house, uh, just, uh, uh, I guess, back in 2009, you know, we had to give a good faith payment, saying that this is a, a deposit because we plan on paying this house off. Um, it's a deposit made to a seller that represents a buyer's good faith to buy. Uh, earnest money gets returned, though, if something goes awry during the appraisal that was predetermined in the contract. So in other words, as we take a look at this, you know, uh, a, a good faith payment and the guarantee that we normally have here on earth, you find out very quickly that that type of deposit is conditional. Because I may default on that. Sometimes it might, you might even lose your good faith payment because in the contract it stipulates that if you back out, we keep the money. You see, this is not the kind of good faith payment that God's making. God's not going to back out on it. He's not going to undo Christ's sacrifice on Calvary. It's something that is sure. It's something that is final. God's guarantee of his spirit, God's seal of that spirit, is unconditional. Because God is the one making the guarantee. There's nothing he needs to back off from. There's nothing that he needs to change because payment has been made. Full payment, not partial. I'm not partially saved. I'm fully saved. Because blood, the blood sacrifice of God's son was perfect. It did exactly what it meant to do. And it reminded me of uh, a, a, the passage uh, in... Uh, Romans chapter 8. Uh, and I, I missed the slide uh, before, so I apologize for that. I didn't look back there. We call this the golden chain of salvation. And this is something else that you can see that God's guarantee is unconditional. Uh, and there's a picture here that shows that chain that has a cement block that is eternity past and future glory. And that what joins those together is, is a set of unbreakable chain links that we find in Romans chapter 8. And, and I've shared this passage with you, but see, this helps you to see why God's seal and God's guarantee through the Holy Spirit does not change. It's permanent. It says there in verse 29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, 
in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And remember, as we, we took a look at the language in this verse, that it is an unbreakable progression. They're all interlinked and they're tied together from beginning to end. He foreknew, he predestined, he called, he justified, he glorified. And did you notice who's doing the, 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 every you know, aspect in all of this? God is. God is the one doing the work because salvation is God's from beginning to end. And see, our salvation was written in eternity past because you'll notice these are all in the past net tense. He foreknew, he predestined, he called, justified, glorified. It's a done deal. And so that point at which I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ was the, the culmination of what God had already known through his son, Jesus Christ. Something that, that man cannot break, that Satan cannot break, that, the, that time cannot break, because salvation belongs to God. So this is something that should be an encouragement to every believer here today. It's not conditional on what you do. You can't mess it up because it belongs to God. And God is going to those whom he has justified or declared righteous glorify. That's giving us that eternal redemption, that eternal body that we need, that he secured and secures through his Holy Spirit. So how should this inform our lives today? And as I think the, the, the verses that follow this chain of salvation, this, this um, unconditional guarantee of God's, I think gives us our application for today uh, and for every believer here. So I will begin reading in verse 31 because the golden chain of salvation is a reality this is what is the outcome of that reality. What shall we say to these things? It's a good question. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also uh, with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. Much more than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that is because God sealed us and put his guarantee on it so that he is going to bring us home. 
And so when you look at the world in which you live, when you look at your, your, your salvation through the, the lens of the scriptures, know this. If God is for you, who is against you? No one. Because no one can stand before God and tell God how things are. He is the creator. He is the one who is almighty God. You know, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Can Satan bring a charge that will stand against God's elect? As God, who is the just judge, who is the one who will, you know, say this is the outcome of this case. That when I look at Bill Diggins, that I see my son's blood that has washed away his sin because he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ back in 1975. And therefore, he can enter into, you know, glory because I have prepared for him a place so that when this, you know, shell is gone, that I take on my, the glorified body that God has made for me, fit for eternity to be able to enjoy being with the God who made me forever. Who is to condemn? No one. So don't even condemn yourself. Because you can't. It won't stick. It won't buy one moment or one, one iota of a thing with God because God has already established it from beginning to end. No one can condemn us because Jesus Christ is the one who died. And who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Absolutely nothing. Because we belong to God. We are heirs and are, we are children and therefore heirs uh, in order that we may also be glorified with him one day. And that's all because the Spirit is doing his role, his work in salvation as the seal, as God's stamp this one belongs to me. And no one's going to break that. And, and that seal, just in case you didn't think it was enough, guess what? God guaranteed it. 100%. It's guaranteed for eternity. Much longer than any of us will live in these frail shells. Which is a good thing. So don't let... Satan, don't let circumstance, don't let yourself keep you from experiencing the hope that you have in Jesus Christ through the sealed Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee until our day of redemption. Let's bow for a closing word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit, who is God. He is the third person in the Trinity. Uh, and he has a very particular role in relation to our salvation because not only does he regenerate us so that we can uh, have that spiritual surgery take place so that we can exercise faith in your son, Jesus Christ, but he is also the one who indwells us uh, and takes up permanent residency within each and every believer, baptizing us so that he can put us into the body of Christ so that we can be uh, that church family. Uh, to be able to, to serve one another and to worship you together in spirit and truth. But the spirit is also that seal, that guarantee that no one or anything can come in and undo what you have done. Because only you have the authority. It is your seal that is on all of this. And so may every believer here know that they are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus today. That they would not live under fear uh, in any way, shape, or form no matter what it is. Because they belong to you. And nothing is going to separate them from your love. 
You have promised that to us, and every promise that you give finds its yes in you. And so, Father, we ask all these things in Jesus' name and for your glory.